0: You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. It's got a 10 second memory. Hey, I'll do my boomerang fish. I throw them away and they come back to me. You must cut down the mightiest tree in the forest with a hurry. Today's meeting is step five. Bring a fish sprint. Fish are friends. Not food. I wish I were a fish. You know what you need to do? Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. Be a goldfish, Sam. Yeah? Be a goldfish. Let's talk about fish. Wow, good to be here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name's Dave Proll. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and I'm excited to teach you today. I'm so excited. Wow. I got everything I got my Joel Olstein smile. I got my Rick Warren shirt. I got my TDJ sweat towel and, uh, and I can even turn on my Gareth Gilpin if I need to. so uh, we can do that now we 're going to have a great time, and uh, you know I, you wonder why you pick the topic that you, you teach on i don 't teach that often here. Pastor Gareth asked me to and uh, true story I was out at the Sandy campus and on the whiteboard out there as I was sort of thinking oh, what am I going to teach about when I'm going to you know blah blah, blah. and I bought, Is there still, fish? oh that's me I thought there was a fish up there again it's like <laughs> that's how big fish um, so um, on the whiteboard it said these words and I, I kid you not God wants to give you a fish I'm going that could be a great message So, I don't know if it was the youth message or whatever it is, so anyway, I started thinking about fish, started reading fish stories in the Bible, and I'm going to tell you, and we're going to talk through a couple of them, and then we're going to see if we can stitch them together and make any sense out of it, all right? Um, I've not been a hunter growing up. I did like to fish. I grew up in a small town of Vernonia. They had a little lake there, and I remember going with my dad and fishing, and it was kind of boring for a kid with ADHD, but I loved to watch the bobber. That was fun. And uh, so you know, you're waiting in the bobber, and then you get bored, and so you pull your line to make the bobber. It's like, and then you check your worm a bunch of times and you know throw it back in there. Uh, then I worked for the Boy Scouts. I taught surf fishing on the Oregon coast, which was really fun. Um, we were down at the basic Cape Lookout, and we would... Uh, walk a long way down, about halfway down the base of the Cape, and we'd fish for lingcod. And uh, that was kind of fun, but it ruined me for any other kinds of fishing because when you fish for lingcod, you use eight-inch herring as your bait, right? So if you're normally fishing for eight-inch trout, that's what you win. We're throwing that out to try to get the lingcod. And so uh, that sort of was fun. And that was great, except we had, to, if we caught a fish, we'd have to carry it all the way back to camp, and that was a, a drag. But my favorite kind of uh, fishing is uh, crabbing. I love to crab. I think there's a picture of here with my son, and we Crabbing, the cute little crab, and when well, my kid used to be cute, and uh, so <laughs> it's 22 now, and so, um, but I, I, I think of crabbing as oceanic gambling. It's sort of fun. I sort of like that. You throw in the ring, you drive around in a boat for about 20 minutes, uh, then you pull it up. You have about three minutes of crazy insane chaos because you're trying to not get pinched. You're trying to figure out which size they are, what sex they are, and the rest of that. And that stops, and then you throw them back out and go through. So I kind of, I really like crabbing. Um, You know, when Jesus began his ministry, he recruited a bunch of guys who also loved to fish too, but he told them he was gonna have to have them fish for the most elusive catch of all people. So it's like, I made that more dramatic than Jesus probably said it, um, which could be a problem throughout the day. But uh, but Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, all right? And so that's going to be kind of the overarching theme here today is about are we called, or, or I believe we are, are still called to be fishers of men. So let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful that we get to be here together and to open your word and allow it to be the active ingredient paired with your Holy Spirit to teach us today. And so as we think about your life and your ministry and what you did here, Lord, when you walked on this earth, uh, Lord, allow it to bring to mind those things that will help us walk and be more like you. We love your story. Uh, We love to be together, and we ask that you would cover this all now in the power of Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, what's the first one we got to talk about? Jonah. Jonah, the big fish story, all right? So if you're not familiar with the story of Jonah, it's the one we all grew up with, the guy that got swallowed by a whale, all right? And so if you're gonna talk about fish in the Bible, you probably have to at least spend a moment there. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time in Jonah. You can read the entire book of Jonah in about the time it takes to eat a Snickers bar, all right? It's not that long of a book. And uh, with all of these things, and this is a caveat with this, Please read these stories for yourself, all right? Um, we all, I hope you have a Bible. If you don't, there's Bible apps and the rest. Uh, but as you go through this, I want you to see in God's word the reality of this. And we'll put them on the screen as we go through, but, uh, but do be a reader. I, Pastor Ben last week was great. Challenge us all if we've not been to, just get into our Bible every day, and I hope you've been doing that. But I'll, let me just do the cliff notes of Jonah. He's a prophet. Uh, God sent Noah uh, to basically tell the people of Nineveh to turn or burn, all right? So there was a message that Jonah had, uh, God wanted Jonah to send to that. We realize as we read this, Jonah wasn't real excited about the Ninevites, all right? They weren't his favorite people, uh, and for good reason we don't have time to get into, but they weren't very nice people. Um, Jonah ended up going the exact opposite way that God told him to go. Jonah, go to Nineveh. It's over there. And he goes, gotcha. And he starts going this way, right? And he does that in a boat. And uh, God doesn't like that. Sends a storm. And the guys on the boat realize the storm is because of Jonah. Uh, They realize they need to get rid of him out of the boat or they're all going to die. Jonah doesn't have the courage just to jump in the water. He says, you guys got to throw me in. And they go, we really don't want to Kill you because we believe that your God's pretty amazing, uh, and that, that kept going, and they finally did throw him in the water. The storm stopped, and now we get to the fish part of the story. If we go to Jonah chapter one verse seventeen, it now says this: Jonah, uh, Jonah one seventeen. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. So let's just make a couple observations. God wanted. Jonah to go to the people of Nineveh, and God asked Jonah to go one way, but Jonah decided to go the opposite direction. Have you ever experienced that? Just ask it, right? Because that's what he kind of do with that, is God said, I really want you to do that. and I think, I think I'm going to do this, all right? So it's not an unfamiliar feeling. Um, Jonah didn't like the people of Nineveh, and as we talk about being fishers of men, I think we have to, at some point, come to the realization that there may be people that we don't like, and maybe we don't want them to know about God. For me, it's telemarketers. <laughs> I don't like them. I don't like people that send me spam email telling me to make a gift card. It's like, and, and that's kind of a simple example, but sadly in that, I think sometimes we hold into something that's like, do we really care if they make it into heaven? Do I want to be in heaven with them? All right? So Jonah had kind of a real thing that we can at least ask ourselves about where we're at with that. God used a fish to get Jonah where he needed him to be, all right? And and what was it a fish? Jesus said it was a whale. Here's the deal as we talk about this. I don't want us to get hung up on that point. I believe God can create what he wants to achieve what he wants to do. For example, he made this. And those are weird. That's a Jerusalem cricket. Don't kill them. Big thing on Facebook this week. Don't kill them because they're very important and they eat a certain thing that makes crops do a certain things. God made that. Okay, so if God can make that, I believe that God can make whatever He wants to do to get the job done that He wants to get done. All right. Oh, good, Kyle. That we don't want that up all day. So, um, so every time I read this story, I, I think a lot of people in our faith get hung up on the science of this. And sadly, there's a lot of people that won't choose to go any farther. There's no way that a guy could get swallowed by a fish or a whale and live there for three days. This is all, that whole book, they just throw out everything and don't do that. And don't allow that to happen. Trust that God is amazing and can do what he needs to do to do that. God arranged for it. God will arrange things. Uh, so, So he could have just created it. But after three days, he deposited Jonah on the shore where he was supposed to be and he sent God's message to the people of Nineveh and they listened and they were spared, the people were heard and they were given a second chance. So God got the job done through Jonah and through a big fish. So here's a question, I just want you to think about, will you go where he tells you to go? Will you go where he tells you to go? God doesn't want anyone to be lost, he loves us, he loves his creation and he wants to be reconciled to everybody. And God is gonna get done what he wants to get done and he invites us into this process. We are still called to be fishers of men and telling God's amazing story, specifically about how Jesus is the only way to our heavenly father is the one job that we won't do in heaven. It's the one job we won't do in heaven. It's the only job we can do here is to be fishers of men and to tell the good news of Jesus. Be tons of stuff to do in heaven, that won't be one of them because everybody there will know Jesus and will have connection with their God, okay? That's Jonah. Let's move on to the next one. The fish, the coin, and the temple tax, okay? Um, It's another fish story. This one we find in the New Testament. It's in the book of Matthew. It's chapter 17. If you wanna find your Bible or your app or jump over there, you can read along with this, and uh, I'm gonna pick it up at verse 24. So this is Matthew 17, 24 to 27. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. Then Peter came into the house and Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But, I love Jesus right here, but so that we may not cause offense... Go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, you'll find a four drachma coin, take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. What in the world? (laughs) What in the actual world? This is the weirdest story. I got questions. Where did the coin come from? It's four drachma. Now, I did a little research on it, that's a pretty, that's a lot, it's about two days' wages, right? Take out your calculator, take your annual salary, divide it by 365 times two. It's a lot. It's not like you lost a quarter. I mean, that was a pretty significant coin. It was it a couple guys on their boat? Maybe they're settling up after fishing. Was it somebody on the dock? But somehow this coin ended up in the water and it caught the attraction of a fish. And we know that because of lures are shiny and bright and they have hooks. So fish like shiny things. It's true. So the fish ate the coin. I don't know why I, I, that was a great pause, but it wasn't that dramatic. Um, what did Peter use for bait to catch the money fish? That's my question. What bait did he use? All right, but let's notice a couple of things right off the bat that we, I think, can apply to this. First is Peter did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. Go to the lake, throw out a line, catch the first fish, take out the four drachma coin. I've thought about this story before And and until I read the details Like did they go and Go fish until you find A fish with a coin in its mouth No Go throw out a net And buy a bunch of fish And sell it And there's No Right This is a very specific instruction That was there Uh, It was exactly what they needed No more no less And I'm not sure why Peter Just didn't stay there And play cha-ching fish all day All right (laughs) a lot of money a couple dozen fish you could have a nice dinner that's that's not in the bible so let's think though here's the other thing i want to look at what's this tax that they had to pay okay um it was a temple tax so it wasn't a tax to the government and there's another story you might have read or, or thought about in the new testament about give to caesar what's due to caesar and blah blah blah. it's about whose face is on the coin this is different okay The temple tax is is kind of what they paid um, for the upkeep and for the things that were needed to keep the temple going, all right? It's an annual tax and they paid it and and it really was something, almost like an offering in that regard. But what what had happened down the line is that the Romans had taken over the collection of that and anytime we know that the government gets involved in the collection of anything, there's probably something fishy (laughs) about that. Um, So, but Peter you know, was walking by probably somebody that knew this is not an unfamiliar place for him, and he said, does your rabbi pay the temple tax? And now, Peter's struck with the irony here, all right? And this is a kind of a stretch, but it would be like if you were Walt Disney's assistant, right? And you're off to a meeting in the Magic Kingdom, and you walk by the ticket booth, and the person in the ticket booth, hey, does Walt pay to go to the parks? And he'd be like, Walt built the park. This is Walt's dream. This is everything that Walt's about. Why would he have to pay to get into the park, right? That's a weird stretch, but it's kind of the same deal. It's a question of going, why would the king of kings need to pay to get into his temple, right? It's that kind of thing that's going on with that. So he got struck with that irony. Um, But the choice that was made in this, and this is what I want us to take away from this, Is a couple things. One, do we trust Jesus for our provision, for what we need when we need it? I think that's something always to think about. But I also like that this miracle, when you read about it, has two unique properties to it. One, it's the only miracle that involved money, right? So, and it was not done for, it was done to do this one task. And it's the only one they say that Jesus did as to not offend someone. So what was really going on in the midst of all this is Jesus didn't want this time to be this squabble about who should or who shouldn't pay the temple tax. That wasn't the point. That wasn't the part of his ministry. He had way more important things to do. So he says, so as not to offend, go do this weird thing with the fish and bring it back, and and then we're kind of got to be done with this, right? How often, and this is just something to think about, does our desire to be right, or our desire to prove our point, or our desire to stand up for Walt Disney not you know paying to go into the park or whatever whatever, that, how often do we do that, but sadly we offend some people, or it blocks our message, or it gets in the way of what we're really trying to do. Can we all just think about that a little bit as we interact, as to not offend? That there's a good reason. for Because if we're going to be fishers of men, why have to scrape through all that stuff? Let's just not offend. (laughs) I guess that's what it means. All right, one more fish story. Probably the one that we all think about when we think of fish, and that is the boy who shares his little lunch, all right? The feeding of the 5,000. It's interesting. God's been kind of using this. This has popped up in probably more sermons in Abundant Life in the last couple of months uh, than anything else, and it's weird. I kind of like that. You say, what's God doing with this? That we're all talking about this story. Um, But I'm gonna read it to you out of John. The reason I'm reading it to you out of the book of John, although all four of the um, writers of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, share the story. John's the one that talks about sort of the origin of the loaves and fishes, and so here we go. It says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look to him, look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread and feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for I already knew what he was going to do. Now, I want to take a pause here for a little point. I always thought that, well, Jesus is gonna show up at Happy Valley Park at two o'clock on Sunday, so we're all gonna go see him, so we're all gonna think ahead and grab a cooler and get our lunches and, go see Jesus, right? So this crowd that developed prior to the feeding of the 5,000s, Jesus was kind of trying to move on to a different place. He was kind of going, and this crowd just kept getting bigger. They hear that the healer's here. They hear that Jesus is here. And this crowd is amassing, you know, as Jesus is progressing along. And I think, you know, it sort of, for me, helped answer the question, why weren't people better prepared? Or why weren't there food trucks, right? Um, it's It's... Something about that. So, um, Philip replied, Well, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed him. So they're kind of grasping for straws here. It's like, I don't think. And they're just thinking that's true. When Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Okay. Let's look at a couple pieces of this. But before we do um, break this down, I want to talk to you about what I call bad flannel board theology. All right, so I grew up in Sunday school in a small town of Vernonia, and my Sunday school teachers were amazing people. I still have verses that they taught me, but I think I was victim to bad theology from flannel boards, which is my picture of what the loaves and fishes are, are probably not that correct, but they've been in my mind for a long time and still I started researching this lesson today. and it's always conjured up these visions of, you know, Grand Central Bakery and, you know, this beautiful bread and these great fishes. Uh, so I Googled them just to see if I could find some, and there's a lot of them on there. So here's one. I think this is very artistic. You've got this nice bread, and it's got this little oatmeal crust on it, and barley, and a couple of nice fish, and I don't know what's in the jug, but it's probably good. And uh, so there's that one. So then you, you keep going. This is more what I think I've always pictured in my mind with this. Story. I'm not the only one, am I? You know, you thought about this too. And you know, this is the real thing because the Bible's there. Because the Bible was there. This is it. Five hoagies and a couple of rainbow trouts, right? All right, what's the next one? Oh, I like this one. This is uh, some chicken, beans, and mashed potatoes. And because when you Google loaves and fishes, there's a lot of food programs called loaves and fishes. And uh, honestly, if I was on a hillside with Jesus, I wish the boy would have brought up some chicken and mashed potatoes. I'm gonna have a much better lunch. But anyway, let's go back. Here's a little bit closer to what it was. So notice the, the, it was a barley cake. This was made out of barley. This was poor people food. And um, those fish were either smoked or pickled because they, they wouldn't have lasted very long. And, uh, and I think as you go to the next one, uh, my understanding is that they're pretty small. They're more sardine. This looks like a bad choice at Waffle House. Um, Anyway, um, so, so think that this is much smaller and not very great food, okay? Um, so John's account's the only one that mentions this boy, this lad, this child, as the source of the loaves and fishes. Um, and this was poor people food. This wasn't glamorous food. And why was this kid there? There's his family. he selling barley, loaves, and fish. He could have had started the day with 100 and just was near the end and was gonna give him up, we don't know. What was going through his mind when he decided to approach these disciples and Jesus with this fish, this basket of crackers and sardines? But here's, I think, the real important part. Have you ever thought, when you think of this through the eyes of the boys, and you really kind of think of what it is, that I don't have a whole lot to offer. I just got a couple sardines and some saltines, right? What possibly could God do with this? It's not that much. But we know what happened in this story is that God used it in an incredible way and fed probably closer to 10 or 15,000 people with this humble little offering. But I also want you to notice one other thing about this and it took me a while reading it and I, and I think this is important because it, sadly it happens. What's the first thing when he brought the loaves and fishes to the disciples that he heard? Oh, you are a wonderful lad, you have solved it all. Your gift is amazing, it will feed 5,000. He didn't hear that. What did he hear? Go back to the text. Go back to the text and it says this. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this large crowd? What good's that? Man, that's reality, isn't it? You have something that's, first off, you don't think I can use it. I don't think it's gonna do any good and I'm just gonna offer it. I'm just gonna do it and somebody in the crowd or even somebody in power was a disciple says, what are we gonna do with that? Man, man. It's tough, it's tough, and we've gotta sometimes just do what our heart's telling us to do and do it and just let things happen, but I don't think it's a mistake that this miracle is the only miracle other than the resurrection that made it into all four Gospels because it is just a miracle, and it started with this little lad that gave his lunch and said, here it is, but then what happened is the Lord took it, and he sat down, he blessed it and it did an amazing thing. So, what's our role in these times? The things to do? We just, Lord, here it is. I, I, it's not a lot. And He'll say, Thank you. And He'll take it and He'll break it and He'll do His work with it. Okay? Anyway, loaves and the fishes. One more. Well, I guess there was, I think I had a thing. Here's a thing. Will you humbly give what you have and allow God to bless it? All right, last one. It's our last fish story, and then we'll get you out of here for a fun party. I had the opportunity to twice go to this place uh, in Israel, uh, and it's a beautiful spot right here. And in Israel, when you visit places, they tell you you'll see thick places and thin places. So when you go to see where Jesus was born, it's very thick because there's a city there and there's a church there and then there's another church on top of that and a temple and a place for the tourists to come and a place for the church to be and it's just like, I, you're telling me Jesus was born here, I'll, I'll believe you, but I, it doesn't feel like what I pictured of a manger. When you go to this place, which is the scene of the last chapter of the book of John, it's a very thin place because you can sit there with your Bible and read this story and kind of really get a sense of what was going on. So for a little bit of background before we read it, Jesus had been tried, convicted, crucified, risen from the dead, and had appeared to his disciples a couple of times already. And at the end of John chapter 12, we see this amazing discussion, this amazing uh, reunion This amazing reunion of Peter and of Jesus. John 21, 1 through 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going to go out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, hey, friends, got any fish? Nope, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, who wrote this book, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he'd taken him off to fish and he jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed him in the boat, towing this huge net full of fish because they, just, they weren't that far from shore. They were about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of that fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. And even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to him. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciple after after he was raised from the dead. I forgot to talk about this with the loaves and the fishes, but it comes to mind here again too. I just, I bet you any food that Jesus touches is amazing. <laughs> right? We know that's true with the wine from the, the, the wedding in Cana, right? They turned water into wine and they said, why did you bring this out at the end? So I know that anything that touched, probably those barley loaves and fish of the feeding the 5,000 were just awesome and here he's having this little lunch on the beach with him geographically this is an interesting place to be to read this story because i never understood as a fisherman and knowing i know how a boat works and i know how water works i know where fish live okay I'm not it's not far very hard you got a boat you got water you got fish why in the world does throwing the net on that side or that side make a difference the fish the fish under the boat they'll figure out where the net is, right? I don't know. But what's interesting about this story, and this is why it was so cool to sit on that beach and look at it. And somebody shared with us there that when the way that they were looking at that, and you can look at it this way, the right side of the boat, the other side, the side towards the far side was where we are, the Gentiles. I want you to fish there, guys. That's where we're going. That's where the fish are today. And he told them to go to the right side of the boat and he pulled up this mess of fish, and that's when it all started, right? That's the beginning of this movement of making you fishers of men again, but with the Gentiles, with us. But now I just wanna take a moment as we get ready to wrap things up to look at this story from Peter's perspective. This guy had done so much with Jesus. Man, he was just in it three years. Remember, Peter was the guy that when Jesus was walking out of the water, Peter got out of the boat and started walking towards Jesus on the water too. He just had his eyes on his Savior and he's walking on the water and it wasn't until he did that that he sank. He took his eyes off him. Peter was there for the feeding of the 5,000. He was there at the Transfiguration when they went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and he got to see Moses and Elijah and he was so excited. He said, let's just stay here forever. This is the best place to be. He was the guy that followed the instructions to go catch a fish to pay the tax. He'd been through it all. But after Jesus was arrested and put on trial and beaten and hung on a cross, just as Jesus told him, Peter denied Christ three times, claiming that he didn't know him. He just, I don't know this Jesus you're talking about. He'd been through all that. And he denied him. I don't know that guy. Oh, it just breaks my heart. Got scared and he caved. And then the rooster crowed, just like Jesus predicted. And you gotta know that Peter just, picture yourself in Peter's shoes. Have you ever let somebody down and it just stays with you? And you go, why did I do that? Dang it. And you gotta know those days for Peter were just horrific. His friend's dead. There's nothing he can do about it. Is he destined to live with this guilt and this shame for the rest of his life? So time passes and Peter goes back to doing what he always did. He went fishing. And to add insult to injury, they were, he and his buddies were skunked again. But do we remember how Peter met Jesus the first time? You go back to Luke and, and, and we know that these guys were on the shore, they were men in their nets and the boats were there and Jesus said, hey, can you take me out because I want to talk to this group of people but I would rather do it from the water. Can you do that? And Peter said, fine. Taught his lesson and he told Peter, he said, hey, let's just go out a little deeper and catch some, catch some fish. And Peter goes, come on, we, what's the use? We fished all last night. This is back in Luke. This isn't the one now. This is back in Luke. God, we fished all last night and we didn't get a thing. But Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And he did, and he caught so many fish that their nets actually ripped. And Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Here's your question. Will you return to him and allow him to feed you even if you've messed up? Even if we've messed up, God still loves us and wants to fellowship with us. That moment that Peter realized it's God. It's Jesus and he's there on the beach and this is all coming back to him and he can't contain himself and he just gets out of the boat and he says, I'm coming. And he comes and they bring in this net and they sit there and they have this beautiful meal together. And as you read on the story and I want you to do that, read the part about Peter and Jesus having this dialogue that pulls things kind of back together and there's reconciliation and there's love expressed and the rest of that. But they enjoyed this meal of fish on the beach together and it probably had to be the most amazing day of Peter's life. I just can't I can't get around it. There are people out there today that don't know the story about Jesus. God still wants us to be fishers of men. It's the one thing we don't get to do in heaven, so we got to do it now. And the sad truth and we understand that if people don't have that understanding of who Jesus is and die, They're eternally separated from our Heavenly Father. So it's something that I think we should take very seriously for those that we love and those in this community and be about that business. It's what we're called to do. There's people that drive by this church every day and don't even think to stop in because nobody invited them. Our world's in a mess and it needs Jesus really bad, but we gotta be the ones to tell them that God loves them and wants to be reconciled. When you get in the book of Romans, Romans 10, and this is a very clear, I think, just logical explanation of what's at hand. He says, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, friends, we got to be sent. We've got to share. We've got to love. We've got to invite. We've got to think of those people that we don't want to see face eternal separation from God. And if you're here today and that's not been a decision that you've made, then you're in a perfect place to take that step, to get out of the boat and to go see Jesus and get reconciled and say, I'm sorry for my sinful life. Sorry for what I've done. And I want you to be my Lord of my life. Who is it that you need to reach out today with the good news of Jesus Christ? Who comes to mind that you might invite to church or to have a cup of coffee and just have an honest conversation about the reality of who Jesus is and that God wants to have a relationship with them? Most of us are probably now listening in our minds the reasons we can't or worse won't do this. Are you running the other way? Like Jonah, allow God to put you back on track. Do you think you don't have enough time or money or talent? Like Peter, do what he says, trust that he will provide. Do you think that what you've got isn't good enough? Like the boy with his little lunch, humbly give it to Jesus. He will bless it and use it for his glory and his purposes. And do you think you've messed up so bad that God can't use you. It's like Peter, go sit by him on the beach and be restored. Return to him, fellowship with him, enjoy a meal with him, get back into a relationship with him, and then he can get about his business. We're gonna sing a last song today, and as we do, I just wanna invite the Holy Spirit to bring to your heart those that you need to share the good news with, and if you need any restoration in any of these areas that I shared today, would you take this moment to talk to Jesus about it? The bridge of the song is almost a prayer in of itself. So why don't we just close our eyes and just take a moment. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you'd call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. My faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Lord Jesus, that's our prayer this morning. As we sit here, Lord, we don't want any to be lost just like you. But we get so busy and we get so tied up with the day-to-day stuff that we sometimes forget that the first thing you ask us to do is to be fishers of men, to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. And Lord, we want to return to that here as a church family. Lord, we want to be busy about making more room so people that can come. But Lord, it's not just the job of the church, it's the job of each of us to just talk about who you are in my life. It doesn't have to be fancy, Lord. We just want to share what you've done in us and through us and trust that your Holy Spirit will do the rest. So give us that faith to do it. Lord, if any today need that time on the beach with you to be reconciled, to come to you, Lord, would you move in their hearts this day? Just happen right where they are today, Lord, that they can just speak to you and have that moment of reconciliation. Lord, we're so grateful for this place to be. I'm so thankful for these people. Lord, as we gather in fellowship each week, Lord, give us the strength to encourage one another to be fishers of men. We love and pray in your powerful name. Amen.